Alrighty folks, and welcome to the Conacher Podcast channel. This is episode 47, The Rise of Woods Etienne. Now, before I get started, I would like to say a big sorry, <laughs> because it has been two months since I actually last recorded an episode, and I, th- I feel like you all deserve to know why, for the people who listen to the show. The reason, well, the, bit, the main reasons why was because... Um, some of you might not know, some of you probably will know. I mean, you're listening to a Chinese history podcast, so you've obviously got some interest in Chinese history. Uh, but Beijing is going into kind of like a semi-lockdown, and that means that I have to teach online and things. So that's been a there's been a learning curve with that in terms of me teaching online, as well as that um, I've been changing the schools. So I'm going to be changing jobs soon. And I was on a job hunt and things as well. So all that was going on uh, whilst I'm trying to figure this out and things. And there was I just had to stop doing it for a while. However, I'm in the routine again. There was like, you know, I've got the ups and downs now, but I'm in the routine. Everything's fine. So now I should be able to continue doing the show. And that's exactly what I want to do. So um, before we get into the story of China's first and only Empress ever, we need to engage with her life before her rise to power and the struggle that she went through to get to the top. And believe me when I say this, a lot of blood was spilled in order for her to get to the top and stay there. But first of all, the last episode left with the successes of Tan Taizong and his time on the throne, which was, you know, just remarkable. Like, in his lifetime, he managed to expand the Tang Dynasty. Like, China had reached some amazing heights. And there was a huge cultural revolution within China as well, where, you know, China would become that more accepting state. And um, it's reflected in the first emperor. Sorry, the second emperor. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so um, one issue that Tang Taizong did have, however, though, was one of successors. There was a few times where he had problems trying to, like, he, he always had an heir in place, but then that heir would die, and then someone else would come along, and there was there was always an issue, like, with one of the heirs. Um, however, it changed with um, the last one that he managed to uh, have, and he is later called Tang Galzong or his uh, given name is Li Zhe. Uh, so Li Zhe, or Tang Gaozong, he came to power in 649 when unfortunately his father, Li Shimin, or Tan Taizong, passed away. And this is where the main character of our story will walk into the fray. So Wu Zhao was Wu Zetian's name before she became Wu Zetian, and she was a concubine of Tan Taizong. She was a concubine of Li Shiming, and that was when she was 14 years old. Uh, if you're going to look at the age gap between the two, there is a bit of a gap there. And I mean, it, it was pretty normal for Chinese emperors to have lots and lots and lots of young concubines. So he could be like 60 odd, and you know, he's with 14 year olds. But that was the time. That was the time we're looking at. Um, her background is shrouded in. Somewhat a bit of mystery. For example, her place of birth. Uh, some sources say she's from Sichuan, whereas others say she's from Shanxi. Uh, that was what I read anyway. If anybody does know, then please, you can hit me up because I, I was genuinely like finding 
conflicting reports, so I couldn't, I didn't really know. Um, the one thing that we do know, however, is that Wu Zhao's father was close with the founder emperor of the Tang Dynasty, Li Yuan, or um, Tang Gaozu. Um, and he helped Li Yuan rise to power, rebel against the Sui, and establish the Tang Dynasty. And for helping, you know, Li Yuan found this new dynasty, uh, Wu Zhao's father uh, became a, a high-ranking government official. And here is where you would have, I suppose you would say, kind of unusual in ch all of China's history. Like, it's not uh, of this time, but in China's history, like, you know, women wouldn't really be taught how to read and write and things, uh, whereas uh, Wu Zhao's father ensured that she could and gave her a very good education. Now, like I said, this isn't all of Chinese history because uh, the Tang Dynasty and later the Song Dynasty in particular are very famous for uh, having very strong-minded, educated women within their history. Uh, but of course, later on, like with the Ming and the Qing Dynasties, it's a little bit different. But we'll get to that later on. Um, now, of course, being able to read and write and having a good education would help her in her political career later on. And of course, during her time with the second emperor, Wu Zhao learned how the imperial harem worked. She probably witnessed a lot of scandals and all of the backstabbing that went on within the harem. And she was probably used, like, she probably used this experience from her young age, which helped her in the future. Now, Tang Taizong was actually very impressed with uh, Wu Zhao during this time as well. And that's because of her alleged beauty, as well as her intelligence. And that's what really attracted Tan Taizong to her. Uh, this is where she will become his one of his private secretaries. And then this is where she like was able to learn how this great emperor, because let's be honest, he was a great emperor, was really able to govern the empire effectively. And she was in charge of that administration, which again will tremendously help her career in the long run. Um, now this is where, you know, because like, like the, she's got a lot of political enemies, uh, Wu Zetian or Wu Zhao at this stage in her life, and she um, apparently, according to some sources, they were saying that she only managed, like she was trying to get into this place just so she can get close to the emperor and try and manipulate Tang Taizong in his older age. And I mean, like sometimes this was probably, in some ways, it might have been true, but it does seem like he was genuinely attracted to her, and she was actually genuinely attracted to him. But again, obviously, these political enemies, like the Confucian scholars that really hated this woman, they try and like tarnish her reputation wherever they possibly could. And this, like, there's another, there's other examples of it that we'll get to later on. So now, as per as per tradition. When the emperor dies, his concubines are sent to monasteries to live a life of chastity before they then pass on to the next life and reunite with the emperor there. And of course, they're supposed to mourn the emperor throughout that time that they have alive. Now, being at such a young age, it does seem like it was unfair on those concubines sometimes, but, you know, that's just my observation. But as luck would have it for Wu Zhao, the new emperor, Tang Gaozou, uh, went to the monastery a year later to offer incense to his father. And who does he see? Wu Zhao. Uh, from there, he was immediately attracted to her beauty 
and from there the emperor often found excuses to return to the temple to see the widow. And one time, according to Rothschild's book on the rise of uh, Empress Wu, he found a recorded conversation between Tang Galzong and Lady Wu within the temple, and they said, quote, and this is like um, Wu Zetian or Wu Zhao speaking to the emperor. She said, quote, even though you are the son of heaven, you can't do anything about it. And of course, this is referring to the fact that she's confined within the temple. And then the emperor replies, quote, Oh, can't I? I can do anything I wish. End quote. This is where her first strike is. When, well, her second strike is when it comes to her political enemies. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, like she is breaking tradition. And this is something that happens a lot with this woman. She is breaking a lot of these old traditions. And then this is why she gets a lot of hate <laughs> when it comes to people writing about her. So there would be sayings like, you know, how dare she come back to the imperial palace and become a concubine of the next emperor? And things I could only imagine, there would have been people making jokes about the father versus the son, if you catch my drift. Furthermore, political enemies would more than likely have said that she was exploiting the weaknesses of the younger emperor through her beauty, which to some extent was probably true. I mean, if you're beautiful, you've got to play to your strength, right? Regardless, Wu Zhao was sent back into the imperial palace and became one of the top concubines, titled Zhao Yi, which literally means the second top concubine after the emperor's first wife. Now, this, took, this process took a little bit of time. She didn't get there and all of a sudden, you know, she's, the top, uh, she's one of the top concubines. She had to work her way there. And this obviously put her in conflict with the Empress of the time, Empress Wang. And what ended up happening was um, the Emperor's first wife and uh, there was another top concubine uh, by the name of uh, Xiao Shufei. And uh, the two of them were kind of competing and then Wu Zhao comes into this, like Wu Zetian, she comes into this and now there's a power struggle. And what happens is Empress Wang goes um, and kind of works together with Xiao uh, Shufei. And then this is where you've got two of them up against one. And it's like a temporary alliance, so to speak. And they, I mean, like the, the phrase that I'm looking for here would be, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, that's the kind of deal that we're looking at here. And now, of course, like, I mean, it's obvious there was going to be a power struggle between these women. Um, and then this is exactly what happens. So, of course, from there, you have Lady Wu up against the Empress and concubine Xiao. By all accounts, they played nice to each other's faces, but there was a lot of spying going on and trying to find out what the other party was up to. However, Wu Zhao showed her patience and played nice with the Emperor, gaining his favour. And again, there's some freaky stories about um, some weird sexual things that she would do for the emperor like emperor galzong she, like apparently he he liked some weird stuff and she was more than willing to perform that those weird sexual things like there wasn't any details which i'm quite glad there wasn't but i found one commentator saying quote like I, again like i couldn't find the um the name of this minister like i just like i just said one minister said so i don't know who said this but anyway this minister speaking about uh wu Zetian, said, quote, with a heart like a serpent and a nature like that of a wolf. 
And then he goes on to say, She favoured evil sycophants and destroyed good and loyal officials. End quote. And of course, the, like, the first part of that uh, quote is that she's, she's basically manipulating the emperor, comparing her to animals that weren't really favoured at the time, obviously a snake and wolf. Um, then the second part of the quote there is really talking about um, what she did when she was gaining this favour. And this was, of course, she was getting rid of her opposition, which she did very effectively. Okay. Um, and of course, it's during this time that uh, Wu Zhao bore four sons to the emperor. Okay. The first is called Li Hong, who was born in 652. Li Xian, who was born in 653. Another Li Xian, born in 655, and then Li Dan, born in 662. Now, here's a guide of getting the Emperor's favour in Middle Ages China, or in fact, anywhere in the world during the Middle Ages. Number one, have sons. If you want a Western example, just look at Henry VIII. Number two, blame any problems on other concubines. And we're going to get to the second part very shortly. Okay, so now the fact that Wu Zhao had four sons uh, to the emperor, and it just meant that she was carrying a lot of favour with him. And of course, her enemies aren't going to be particularly happy with that. Now, here's the thing. The the Empress Dowager, or sorry, not the Empress Dowager, um, uh, Huang Ho, as she's known, uh, the, the Empress, uh, she didn't have too much to worry about at this stage because she had a son with the emperor. And Emperor Galzong had already named him as the heir to the throne. So, you know, there isn't really much of an issue. She's just got four other sons. So, like, these sons could be backups if something terrible was to happen to the heir. Now, of course, the heir was young and healthy, and he was kind of getting past that stage where he was vulnerable. So, it seemed to be okay for um, the club that is uh, with the Empress, uh, sorry, with the Empress Wang. Now, unfortunately... This is where our story gets particularly nasty. Uh, Wu Zhao gave birth to another child, but this time it was a girl. And Empress Wang, by all accounts, went to Lady Wu's chambers to congratulate her about the birth of the child. Now please know this is normal protocol. She's the Empress. She's supposed to congratulate other concubines when they have the Empress children, because it's supposed to be one big giant family where everyone loves each other and everyone gets on. But of course, we all know that doesn't happen. And um, this is where it gets particularly nasty because what happened, according to Lady Wu, is that Empress Wong was the last person to be with the baby. And when the mother, you know, uh, Lady Wu, uh, Wu Zhao, Wu Zetian, uh, came back to her daughter, she found that her baby had been strangled inside the crib. Wu then immediately went to the emperor and begged him for justice. And straight away, the emperor locked both uh, Empress Wang and Lady Xiao away to be sent to exile. And he then elevated Wu Zhao to the title of Wang Ho, or Empress. Now this is where we land ourselves in a controversial debate. Because the official histories of the Tang Dynasty said that did not happen. And this is where we will dive into the realm of the biases and everything that, you know, we deal with when we deal with history. So scholars writing after the event, the people who were alive at the time, said that it was Lady Wu who killed her own daughter 
and then she blamed it on Empress Huang to get rid of her biggest threat and rivals to power. Which, if this is true, is just totally messed up. I mean, come on, you're killing your daughter like for this? And like the daughter was only a week old, and it's, it's just a horrible, horrible story. If, like, I mean, either way, I mean, like, you know, like, if whoever did it, it's still a horrible story, like, like regardless. And this is where, um, was it Tien's political enemies really, like, you know, stick that knife in and twist it and, like, you know, make out that she is this monstrous human being and, like, she was a despicable person and she didn't know her place in the world and she was violating heaven and all these basic laws of course that Confucius himself spoke about and that was the big philosophy governing philosophy of the age um and you know like it's just it's just horrible it's just a horrible thing right um despite these biases though there are no there is an observation that I made uh, which wasn't seen in any of the texts that I, I had seen that were written. Uh, because, of course, like, you know, if you, like, because, like, this is what uh, Wu Zhao or Wu Zetian said about the whole thing. She said that uh, the Empress Wang was so enraged and so jealous of this concubine that she strangled her daughter. But, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, if you were jealous of this woman, why would you kill her daughter? who's a week old. Surely, the biggest threat to you, or your family, or your family getting to power, is your sons. Or sorry, or her sons. Because this is a very patriarchal world. Or better yet, just chop the head off the snake in this case. But an innocent girl who would never have been a threat in any terms of political rule? For me, that makes no sense. So in that way, I would agree that Wu Zetian, or maybe Wu Zhao at the time, may have actually killed her own one-week daughter to gain political power. But this is where I will play devil's advocate slightly, as I want to try and go for a balanced view here. Uh, Wu Zhao did say that Empress Wang was so consumed with jealousy and that, you know, it could have been a spur of the moment in this anger. And I'm just going to leave that with you there. So who do you think was the murderer? Well, this is just something that um, we will never know. And uh, historian Emily Mark quoted this, like, well, summed this up perfectly, and I'm just going to straightly, straight quote from her. And she said, quote, The story of Wu's murder of her daughter and the framing of Lady Wong to gain power is the most infamous and most often repeated incident of her life. But actually, there is no way of knowing if it happened as the historians recorded it. At the time of the murder, it was Lady Wu's word against Lady Wang's, and later historians decided to side with Lady Wang against Wu. But this does not mean they chose the right side. End quote. And there you go. That's like you know, that's like the one of those like pinnacle moments in history where um, everything changes. Because before you've got Empress Wang, like she's there with the Emperor uh, Emperor Gaozong, and like the Emperor is still making a lot of the decisions at the time. However, when like this, like this, uh, like rivalry comes to a head, you see this shift. Okay, um, so of course, with Empress Wu's new position beside Emperor Gaozong, she set about dealing with those enemies. And again, it just it's disgusting. Uh, according to the records, 
Empress Wu had the former Empress Wang and her friend concubine Xiao's hands and feet cut off, then thrown into jars of wine. Empress Wu is even said to have stated, quote, now these two witches can get drunk to their bones, end quote. Told you. Told you it was gruesome. And like, and this is the thing as well, uh, the historians of the time, when they report this, they, they do this in such a way where they compare Empress Wu to the Empress Dowager of the Han Dynasty, the, uh, the uh, Empress of uh, 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 Han Zhou, who like did the same thing with a concubine that she didn't like. I mean, it was, wasn't the same, but it was similar in terms of she um, would, uh, she like killed his concubine then. So it, like put her in with pig feet and feed and stuff and it was like cut her hands and all these body parts off before putting them in a jar and things it was all disgusting but again it's a very famous story it's uh empress uh, luger and this is where you have this you know the, the chinese population can make these comparisons and that's what the historians are doing that deliberately because then they're, they're trying to make her out to this be this monstrous person um, but anyway, I think she actually did do it. So again, it's gross. It's uh, it's disgusting. Now, of course, like you I mean, you could look at it. If she didn't kill her daughter, then she was getting revenge for her undead, well, her dead daughter. But again, we will never know. It's always up for speculation in that case. So of course, um, the crimes of the mother then becomes the crime of the sons and other immediate family members. So a huge purge ensues whereby Empress Wu confirms her power by the year 655 rolls around. And it is from here, basically until her death, that she's the ruler of China. Like Emperor Galzong, like of course he was the emperor, and he was the emperor up until 683. However, he suffered a terrible stroke in the year 660, leaving basically all state affairs to the empress. However, what we will do is we will talk about her when she gets there in two weeks' time. Because there's a lot of controversy around Wu Zetian. But this is where she has solidified her position. And I kind of want to leave it there. Uh, because in the next couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is what she does when she's actually in power. And then this is where you can see the controversy around this uh, amazing figure. Because she she does do a lot like she has a lot of policies which are very good and it's very good for the people but at the same time within the imperial court there's a lot of purges and things going on and then of course as time progresses and she gets older things get a little bit shaky but again we'll get into all of that in a couple of weeks time so i'm going to leave you with this question was was the power hungry devilish woman who would do anything to get to power like the scholars of the time said she was? Or is the majority of this just slander because she was a woman who was upsetting the established norm of the day? Let me know your thoughts. And until then, see you next time. Thanks for listening.